Thank you, Mike, very much. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see everyone out. I was kind of had to smile, you know, when you choose hymns, you're not sure exactly what the weather is going to be. So when morning gilds the skies, we've got a lot of clouds out there, but, you know, the Lord's glory is not diminished by the clouds of this earth. And indeed, that is uh, kind of a theme that's been going on today, both in the Sunday school hour, and it will be uh, as we go through uh, our message this morning as well. So if you would be so kind as to turn to the book of 1 John, please, 1 John chapter 1. Today we will begin this series uh, of a series of going through the book of 1 John, and I think there might be some surprises in it for you as we go along. 1 John chapter 1, I'm only going to read the first four verses, that's where our attention is going to be today, so if you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word, 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with, the, with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please do be seated. The church of John's day was in crisis. False teachers had arisen within its ranks, and they were rather successful in luring the saints away from the teachings of the apostles in order to embrace such errors as denying the deity of Christ. Uh, at that time, the idea was being put forth that uh, Jesus was a real person, but he wasn't God in the flesh. In the area of morals, these false teachers rejected man's innate sinful depravity, the corruption of his heart, as they claimed to have fellowship with God, uh, nevertheless, while denying their own sinfulness. Even further, they denied that rebellion against God's law was man's essential problem. And so no substitutionary atonement was actually necessary. And because Jesus wasn't really God, his atonement didn't really accomplish anything anyway. Some pretty big errors. Uh, another big er area of error had to do with relationships. They weren't practicing love towards their fellow believers. Now, when you think about the errors that I just laid out for you, it might just occur to you that the apple hasn't fallen that far from the tree in our own time. Eventually, uh, these false teachers left the church. 
but the residue of their falsehood remained. They started new ministries. They drew away the gullible. They represented themselves as believers. They caused a great deal of confusion and disrepute to the name of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about the book of 1 John. I know when I was going into this, I was uh, uh, talking with someone this week about it. And, you know, if I say the name of 1 John, the epistle of 1 John to, to you, there are a few verses that will probably pop to mind um, regarding love not the world, love not the things of the world, uh, and all that sort of thing. And, and if you really love your, if you hate your brother and you say you love God, you're a liar, and those kinds of things. And it seems to be uh, that that's what colors our understanding what the whole book's about. And it's not what the whole book's about. There's some surprises here for you. If you haven't really studied through the whole book and you've just kind of cherry-picked certain texts and so on. I know, as I was looking through my files and all my years of ministry, I realized I'd never preached through this book. And I thought, well, I've been doing all this heavy stuff in the prophets and everything. Let's, let's go to 1 John and deal with some of the more practical matters of living out our, our faith uh, consistently in Christ. And... Uh, <laughs> As you may remember, those of you that were here, you know, I mentioned that I was going to start this series about three weeks ago, and it's taken that long just to prepare this first sermon. It's not just about, you know, do good unto others because, you know, you want to show you love God. That's part of it, for sure. But there is so much more going on in this book. So, uh, I've never preached through this book before. And I'm looking forward to going through it with you and having a much fuller and greater appreciation for uh, what the Lord has to say to us through his apostle, uh, John, the beloved uh, disciple. Well, with that in mind then, let's start to think about this book as uh, a defense uh, may, many of you probably heard the term apologetics, which all, is kind of one of those words that you go, why is, what does that have to do? Well, apologetics has to do, it means defense, but it sounds like you're, you know, saying, well, I'm sorry for believing what I believe. That's not what it is. It comes from the Greek word apologia, and it means defense. So apologetics is the study of how to defend your faith, and John is defending the faith once for all delivered to the saints in this book. It is a book. It is an apologetic book, uh, but not saying I'm sorry, but in the sense of defense. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very interesting as well that, well, you know, it shouldn't surprise us because in the Gospel of John, and we'll refer to the verse as we go along in, in place here, but I'll mention it here also, you remember that in the Gospel of John that John says the reason why he wrote the book? Right? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? And that believing you might have life on his name. Well, John, true to form, in this letter, says why he's writing the letter. In fact, he says why he's writing it seven times throughout the book. And that, those seven times provide some structure to the arguments. Though they're not spread evenly out, the first six are in the first two chapters, and the last one comes 
at the end. But we're going to use those statements that give seven, seven different but related reasons as to why he's writing this letter to them, which gives us a clue about what this book is really all about. Uh, the, the phrase, he's, it can be I am writing or we are writing uh, <clears throat> these things to you. Again, a cure occurs seven times. And then along with that, there's, a, there's three or four occasions when he says, where you proclaim these things to you because. So he gives lots of reasons why he's writing uh, today. So that's why, uh, we're, why I'm calling this sermon series Reasons to Write. Reasons to Write. And the first reason that John gives is found in verse 4, and you probably picked up on that as I read it. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, our, you have to look at it a little bit and think, well, does he mean, does he mean himself as the author and those who are with him? Um, so that we'll be happy that you're living properly or that you're doing well, but it, it seems more to be a collective kind of uh, first-person plural where he's just saying that our joy may be complete together. And that's strengthened, I think, by what he says here in terms of fellowship. And we'll get to that in a minute. But before we dig into this reason, it might be a bit of a head-scratcher to, to discern why does he start with this reason? He's got seven other reasons to go. Um, one might think that this aspect of having complete joy would be a reason mentioned at the end, after he's talked about all the other great stuff that's in the book and all the other challenges that are there. Why does he start with fullness of joy as a goal, as a reason for writing? But then again, maybe it's not quite so perplexing when you consider the heartache and the disruption to the church that the false teachers, with their error and their divisiveness and their their partisanship and trying to lull people away to themselves, when you think about that kind of heartache, would not it be good to say, let us not despair, people. Uh, don't just get consumed with the, the, the current afflictions and trials that are going on. In Sunday school today, uh, as part of uh, Elder Mike's lesson, I referred to the book of Hebrews and the urging of the author of Hebrews uh, to the people who were enduring great afflictions and trials. And as he noted, it was a talk about a tumultuous time. It was right before the destruction of Jerusalem when that uh, was written and lots happening, threats on every side, lots of despair, panic even. Does this sound sounding familiar? And the message of that, of that author of the book of Hebrews is, there's hope. There's hope. And John starts off with the reason for our joy being the hope that we have. What is our, what is our genuine uh, foundation for our faith and our confidence? And so when you think about that, to start with joy as he reminds them of that foundation, um, maybe is not quite so perplexing then. When you're faced with 
the heartaches of betrayal, of division, of tumult, uh, and, and, um, and threat in society all around us. We can want to be escapists. We can want to be alarmists. We can want to be uh, people who are full of despair. And we can want to take things to ourselves. Perhaps one reason why the false teachers got such a ready following is that people were looking for anything they could grasp onto that sounded like they could have some control over their own lives. We just see that's rampant in our society today. Because it all looks rather hopeless. Beloved, it is not hopeless because of who our hope is in. Um, when the betrayal in this particular case, uh, the division in this particular case, is based upon a rejection of the Orthodox Christian faith that had been revealed by Christ to the disciples, who then in turn communicated to the church. These false teachers were leaving that and promoting heresy, promoting error at their expense, it, it seems to me to make sense to reestablish the joy of the saints, not on just a rah-rah, it's going to be okay kind of pep rally speech, but to reestablish our joy uh, upon a firm footing of godly revelation once again. Because when our feet are firmly planted on the word of God, which again was a big, big thrust this morning, um, in our Sunday school hour. When your feet are planted on the word of God, then you can fully experience the joy of your salvation no matter what falsehood threatens the church. No, what, no matter what falsehood threatens you individually, you can know joy in your salvation. And that's one of the goals that John has for the believers to whom he's writing. This letter is a circular letter it wasn't written to a specific congregation. It was written to be distributed around the churches. It would have been read many, many times around. So uh, as he's talking to these folks that are experiencing a great variety of affliction and trial and difficulty, uh, I have no doubt that these words were a great source of comfort to them, and I trust they will be for us as well. So... With that in mind, by way of introduction, then, let's dig into the text. And we're going to look at that first phrase. That which, uh, or first verse, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And he's going to have a parenthetical then, but um, let's stop there for the moment. Joy in your salvation is going to be built upon a witness in which you have some confidence. One of the things that we talked about in, in Sunday school class today, in the adult class, was uh, when you jettison God's word, when you jettison God out of your society, in other words, when you jettison a, a well, is it kind of the, to use the Old Testament uh, imagery of not removing the ancient landmarks, when you remove all those ancient landmarks, when you pull God's standards away and you make 
your life built upon whatever you happen to think of at the moment, rather than what God has said from the beginning, the result is not uh, freedom, but it is greater slavery. Slavery to passions, slavery to fear, slavery to oppression, slavery to affliction. Uh, there's no peace, there's no comfort in that because things just are changing all the time. But our God, uh, when he reveals his will to us, when he reveals his character to us, it is from a person who never leaves us nor forsakes us, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, whose standard of righteousness has been the same from before the foundation of the world as it is today. And we build our lives on that and there is peace, there is safety, and there is security in those things, and there is joy as you rest in what he has done. So we need to think about the witness that is given here, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard. The focus here, why is John focusing on this, on, on what they've seen, heard, and done? Well, is there anybody, just think, take it out of the, the first century for a minute, um, anybody here ever run into somebody or maybe you were one of these somebodies yourself at one time that doubted whether Jesus Christ ever actually existed? Is there anybody like that in the world today? There certainly were in that day and they were a lot closer to when he actually did walk on the earth. Now, it's not hard historically to prove that Jesus was an actual historical person. That's, unless you want to say that, that every secular witness to his existence was utterly mistaken or lying. Which, you just have to be a fool in order to ignore that. But at the same time, now with all these centuries since, there are people that even doubt whether he even walked on the earth at all, if he's just some concept that somebody made up. Those people are really have to have their heads in the sand. Even secular historians for the most part, will acknowledge that Jesus existed. But regarding, of, regarding not just his physical existence, but also who he is, who he proclaimed himself to be, and what he did to prove that he was who he said he was, that's a different story. The false teachers were saying, no, Jesus wasn't really God. And the apostles were saying, Jesus was really God. So who are you going to believe? Is it, he said... He said, you know, going back and forth between each other and just each expressing their own opinions. John does not leave that to doubt in this opening verse. First of all, there is a witness to Christ's deity that is implied just in that very first phrase, that which was from the beginning. Now, this is a witness, I believe, uh, a statement that is referring to Christ's deity. And it harkens back to something that John has written before in his gospel, in John chapter 1, where he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, uh, that which was from the beginning is, uh, is a verbal noun form, the one, the one that was from the beginning. And that is in a, for you Greek scholars out there, it's in an imperfect tense. It means that it, it's, it speaks to the eternality of Christ's existence. It's not saying that he, he started at this point. 
The imperfect suggests no beginning point. It just goes on in the past. So he's eternally preexistent. Um, but there's also a thought, particularly as the rest of the verse goes on, that it's not just about his deity in the past, um, or even his deity now, in that, in that uh, in the sense of the, the concept of it. But there is an aspect of this uh, that also is referring to his earthly ministry and what they observed. So when you talk about what was from the beginning, yes, the preexistent one, the one who is God, but who lived among us, walked among us, and from the very beginning of his ministry, demonstrated who he was. So you kind of have both of these concepts that are wrapped up, I believe, in this idea of you know, that which was from the beginning. Christ is God, John is saying. And to those to whom he was writing, that point would not have been missed. But notice the nature of the witness that is here. And as we go through this, note the increasing strength of the witness with each of these points. He's leaving no stone unturned, just in case you want to say, you know, want to argue and say, well, you must have been mistaken. You must have, this was some casual thing. You were just, you know, as, a, as an observer off in the distance somewhere. No, take a look. What we've heard, what we've seen, what we've looked upon, what we've touched. And each of these grows in intensity because there's a witness here, not just to Christ's deity, but also to his physical reality as the God-man. Physically, John says, we have heard him. And this uh, word for heard has the idea of listening with understanding. We didn't just hear his voice off in the distance somewhere and know he said something but couldn't make it out and not really sure what it was all about. They listened with understanding, which is an interesting thought because when you look through the Gospels, uh, the disciples, there were a lot of times when they didn't understand what they were hearing. And they had to ask. So for him to say this is uh, a, a claim that I think is remarkable. Now, he's not denying that there were things they didn't understand, particularly at the beginning. But there does come a time in, the, in Jesus' earthly ministry, particularly after the resurrection, when they start all of a sudden, beam, boom, the light comes on. And they, they begin to really comprehend what's going on. And the, they, they, their whole demeanor and everything fundamentally changes after the resurrection. And as the Spirit of God comes upon them, and you look in the book of Acts, and like, wow, where did these guys come from? The understanding maybe didn't come right when they heard it the first time, but the understanding was there. It was given by the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, that's, that's a wonderful thing for us too, because we can look at the word and we can, we can, uh, we can be like the, the, the prophets who, uh, you know, the Lord is revealing stuff through them and they, you know, the scriptures say they're kind of going, what is this all about? <laughs> you know, uh, they know now. There are things that we look at in the word of God that we wonder, what's going on there? I don't know, I'm gonna study it out. We may come to it in knowledge, the full knowledge and understanding of it in this life. It may be the next life, but hopefully we're learning constantly understanding more and more through the process of sanctification, 
that little phrase there, that which we have heard, to hear with understanding encourages me uh, that the, the Spirit of God will help me to understand as we go along. But he's saying, okay, we heard the word and we understood what was going on. Next one, which we have seen with our eyes. Now, this is the simple verb for see. We looked, we noted, we took, took account of it. Um, and, and basically, he's saying the reality of it was there, right in front of us. We looked at it. But he doesn't stop there. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this. It's if, okay, we saw it. But in a way, he's saying, we saw it. And even more than that, which we have looked upon. Now you think, well, that sounds like you're saying the same thing twice. No, it's not. First one is just simply seeing it out there in front of them. The second one, the word means to investigate. To investigate. It's not just look upon and note that you're wearing a white shirt and you're wearing a pink blouse and um, your hair is messed up and you don't have any hair. <laughs> it's not just that. It's truly investigating, right? Taking a look with a, an aim to really understand. In other words, John says, we were not just casual observers. We were there probing, asking questions, considering carefully what we were seeing. And the conclusion that we, the only conclusion that we could come to is that no mere man could do what this man does. No mere man could say what this man says. As Peter says, you alone, Lord, have the words of life. We have nowhere else to go. They investigated it. Uh, by the way, he uses the same verb back in John's gospel, in, in the gospel he wrote, chapter one, when he says, um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory or we looked upon his glory. It's the same word. We investigated it. We looked at the perfections that were there. We, we saw them and we saw them in action and we were participants in those things. So we're not just blowing smoke here. This is reality of what we saw. You can't get better eyewitnesses than this. You know, one of the things about eyewitness accounts in any sort of court proceeding, if you think about it, um, if you have a lot of people that's, that, that were witnesses of an event, you get statements from all of them, and they all see it a little differently, right? Um, it, so, you know, the investigators will get as many of those testimonies as they can, and they try to piece together the full picture based upon everything that they have. And... I think all of us know from different things that we've witnessed throughout our lives. If someone says, what happened there? We go, well, um, looks to me like blah, 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 blah. This happened. And then somebody else comes along and says something about the same event and go, were we there at the same time? Um, from our different perspectives, how far away we were, what we heard, how involved we were, how much time we were there, um, what our mental capacity is, what our understanding of the world and life is and how it works. Uh, all of those kinds of things factor into our witness. And I was there. It's like, great, but it all has to be verified, which we'll get to in a minute. But over and over and over again, John is saying, we didn't just hear it. We didn't just see it. We were in. We were 
part and parcel with this, and we saw it all in action, and we were part of it. We investigated this. Um, and then the last one, just in case there was any doubt, and have touched with our hands. Now, this is a really cool verb. Um, and it's root. It means to grope around in the dark. Like, what? Okay, now think about this. I, first of all, I was like, well, that's, that doesn't sound very encouraging. It's like, well, we were kind of in the dark. And that's not what he's saying. It's that idea of, you know, when you go into a dark room, the other, you know, what was it, a week or two ago, we had that power outage. We were out for like 12, 14 hours or something. And at nighttime, you know, you're, you're going around your house. Um, and if you did, you know, maybe you couldn't remember where you put the flashlight or uh, the little lantern or wonder where your matches and, ca and candles are. Um, and it's pitch black. Do you go running through the house? No. You feel your way along. Okay, here's the door. Um, and, uh, you know, oh, there's that coffee table. <sighs> yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's that idea of carefully feeling your way to discern what's there. If, if you've ever been, like a lot of times at zoos, they do this where they, they take you into the reptile house or, the, or some house where they got all these furs or they got different rocks or different things or bones or any number of other objects and they stick them in a box and you're supposed to put your hand in there and try to figure out what that is. Right? And you carefully think about that. Oh, that is a, ah, I see what that is. Okay. That's the idea of this verb. It doesn't mean that the disciples were just walking around Jesus constantly, you know, massaging him. That's not the idea. It's, it's the idea of, it, it, it builds on that idea of investigation. Say, we were right there. We didn't leave anything to chance. And certainly there is. They, they did touch him and he touched them in, in the course of their work together. So they knew his reality in that way. But this is careful. This is about careful examination and, and discerning of who God is, who Jesus was, and what he did. Think about this... Uh, Last phrase here concerning the word of life. What were they exploring? What were they? Uh, what were they uh, observing and listening to concerning the word of life? Now, this is the word again for you that. Uh, um, love to think about Greek. I know there's a number of you that are here that do that. This is the word logos. It's also used in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And logos is not just about a, you know, pick a word and here's a word. Uh, it can be used that way, but it's generally used in a little more of a philosophical way to speak of truth and content, uh, the reality of an assert of an assertion, um, of a, of a proposition that has some substance to it, not just a given word. So when Jesus is described as the word in John chapter one, um, it's speaking of God's revelation, a full revelation of, him, of himself to the world. 
It's the thing that he has spoken to the world, revealing it in Jesus Christ. And here, concerning the word of life, uh, theologians go back and forth with this phrase as to whether this word means Christ himself or maybe the gospel message that Christ was preaching, which there's arguments you could go back and forth uh, between the two. I prefer to combine those thoughts and think of it in terms of the gospel that's revealed in Christ's person and work. Because they weren't just looking, he's already said that which is from the beginning. So I think this has to do with the person of Christ as much as the things that he said. But those two things are inseparable. You, you've got to take them together. As if what he said is not true, then he's not who he said he was. And our hope is in vain. But if, he's, if he is who he said he is, son of God, then what he speaks is truth and we better pay attention. So I really, again, think it's best to combine as we think about the word of life, the gospel that's revealed in Christ's person and work. This is the witness that, that uh, John says we have. And by implication, he's saying the false teachers don't have this. In fact, they deny it. They're, they're denying things that they don't have any knowledge of because they weren't there and we were. When you have that kind of witness, this, like we go back to the, the you know, an incident where we're all, you know, this is not the witness who was standing down the block and heard the blow up. We had a, a, a call that we responded to, uh, well, I guess a couple weeks ago now, a fire call, that the report from the individual was that a light pole was down across the highway and there were wires on the ground and there was sparks and fire. I was here, it was just a block away. So I hopped in the truck and I drove over there and there is nothing. There's no pole on the ground, there's no wires on the ground, there's no, there's no disaster, there's no anything. Um, I called in and said, there's nothing here. We, we had to do some uh, looking around. We finally got a hold of the original reporting party, who happened to be a person who lived about halfway up the hill of the next block over up on the road. And looking out their window, um, all we can think of is that they had seen those LED lights flicker as they were coming on. And so... What she witnessed was from a distance, she got a piece of something, immediately assumed the worst, and created a scenario that didn't exist at all. That happens a lot. We call those smells and bells calls. You know, people want to help, and they see something, and they don't want it to get out of hand, so they call. And that's fine. But there's that kind of witness which is kind of like the false teachers in that respect. They're at, a, they're at a distance from Christ. They weren't there during his earthly ministry, but they got something to say because they got an idea. John says, we were there. And not just, you know, we were standing next to the pole. And this, the pole's real. It's not falling down. Uh, 
we were able to, uh, you get a little better witness, you can have more confidence and joy in that witness. Okay. Took a lot of time on that particular point, but I want to nail this down. Beloved, we do not have an uncertain witness to the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the truth of his word. We have an absolute rock solid over and over from every, every angle that's possible kind of witness to affirm the truth of who Jesus Christ is and the truth of what he said. And that should bring you joy. Regardless of what's happening around us. There's lots of voices out there that they're saying, panic here, panic there, take a nosedive here, uh, uh, you know, sell everything, run to the hills, or don't sell everything, hoard it all and hide in your basement, or whatever it is, as to what's going on in this world that threatens us, and there's plenty of those things around. If we're looking to find joy and peace in the midst of that kind of, of, of environment, apart from God himself and what he said in his word, it's a hopeless endeavor. And you will be yanked around by every wind of doctrine and every wind of, of fear and every wind of rumor and everything else. You'll basically, oh yeah, that would be like the internet. Because that's, that's what social media is characterized by, is it not? Everybody's, over here, there's this problem. Over here, there's this problem. Over here. Oh, no, 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 now this, I heard this. Oh, now I heard this. Now do this. Don't, don't do that. Do that. If that's what you're, if you're going to get all, all your, your uh, you know, news from, and an and, and ability to be able to cope through, pick your news network. Doesn't matter which one, whether conservative or or leftist, doesn't matter. Um, because drama sells advertising. And if that's what you're doing, so I'll be prepared. You're, you're looking, it's not to say you shouldn't look at those things and listen to where you can and discern and everything else. But if that's what you're looking for, how you're going to manage this thing, you're, in, you're uh, barking up the wrong tree. We have a solid witness. Through the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the head, the, the, the cornerstone. That's our foundation. That's why we have hope. Okay? I really thought I was going to get farther today, but I didn't. And I'm not going to start the next point because it's too involved. Uh, so we'll look forward to next week. But talking about, um, I'll give you the, I'll give you a, a little teaser for what's coming up. So we've we've got joy in the witness, the witness of the apostles in this particular case, that what they had to say about Jesus Christ and His reality, both as God and man. We have that here, but there's also joy in the life, the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it. Okay, so he's developing this thought a little bit more. I want you to think about life. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna 
I'm going to give you all the blanks here. So you can go and start thinking about some of these things uh, as you're looking ahead this week. Joy in the life. First of all, life that is obvious. It was made manifest. Life that was verifiable. We've seen it. And life uh, that is eternal because this life was with the Father. So think about that and think about how that relates to our joy and our salvation regardless of what's happening in the world around us. This is not just a fairy tale. This is not something that somebody just made up because they wanted to start a religion. This is the real deal. This is life itself, both in, in, in our, our time and for eternity. And because of that, we can have real, real joy in the life that our Lord gives to us and reveals through the Lord Jesus Christ. So with those thoughts in mind, we'll close in prayer for this morning. Thank you, Father, for this precious passage of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you so moved by your Spirit in the heart and mind of a fisherman to challenge our hearts and minds with thoughts that are in many ways too deep for us. And yet you reveal them to us. You command us to meditate upon these things. And so, Lord, we desire to meditate. We desire to understand. We desire, Father, to, to know you are right because that's where eternal life uh, begins, is knowing you. We thank you for the witnesses that you have provided along the way, beginning with the prophets and the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the ongoing witness of the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives. Lord, let us find joy in the witnesses that you have given. And let us not uh, strive to depart from their witness because we think we know better. Let us be content to humble ourselves before you, learn and rejoice in the truth that Jesus Christ is God, is Lord of all, and in him alone is salvation. We thank you, Lord, for uh, what you will do in our hearts in the, in the week to come as we ponder on these things and strive to live in the confidence uh, that it comes with knowing that the witnesses are sound. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.